Hello and welcome to episode two of The Long Shot. I'm here once again with my good friend Davis. And let me tell you, we are excited to be back for week two. We're back, man. Yeah, there were uh, maybe some concerns that we would get dropped after a week one performance, but uh, there seems to be some optimism, um, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I would say we watched the game film. Yeah. We're going to make minor adjustments. For sure. We're trying to win a podcast championship. Yeah, that's uh, one thing you can expect from this pod is growth. You know, I think, uh, you know, a growth mindset, uh, personal development is something that we're definitely going to prioritize moving forward. Uh, feedback was much appreciated, um, and we're definitely going to apply it moving forward here. How do you build a brick wall? Brick by brick brick by brick so we're just trying to get better every week yeah just building uh small incremental improvements and then hopefully at the end of this whole thing we have something to show for it that is the goal um yeah so today we're, we're super excited to have our first guest ever in the history of the show wow somebody that i'm privileged enough to call both a a friend first but also a teammate uh andre igdawa um you know, known by many of you, I'm sure, yeah. uh, for his performances off the court. But uh, today we want to highlight just some of the successes, both on and off, um, and just everything that's made him who he is. Which is a long list. It, it really is. On and off, and maybe more off, which says a lot, because yeah. there's a lot on the court. Exactly. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that, though. Just wanted to, to let you guys know. First, we have some some kind of housekeeping stuff, if you will, yeah. uh, just you know, fun stuff around the league, uh, around the world, and of course, always uh, stuff we have going on in this pod, uh, which we're excited to continue to to develop and share with you guys. So, definitely an interesting week in the NBA. Yeah, you can say so. Um, safe to say, this was a week of firsts with games being postponed at an alarming rate if, if we keep having weeks like this we're gonna have to do these daily because it's yeah. it's it's just funny now that we're doing these my mindset is like interesting topics that we can talk about throughout the week right and the list was infinite yeah starting i would say last sunday yep. right you guys are in boston mm -hmm. get word that there's been exposure yeah you guys go into kind of immediate lockdown yeah, so we get uh, we play Washington. Uh, we fly to Boston for a back to back. We land in Boston, and we wake up and and there's kind of this this kind of weird vibe. You know, usually you wake up, you test, uh, and you just kind of get ready for the game, especially on a back to back. Don't have a shoot around or anything. Just kind of a meeting closer to game time. Go through the the normal routine, and it was very clear that something was kind of different. Um, we had just played Washington. Bradley Beal had been pulled out of the game in warmups in Washington because of contact tracing. Against you guys? Against us, yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, so he was pulled out of, he was set to play, was listed as active, was going to play and everything, and was pulled out of the game literally while he was warming up um, because, I don't know if it was the night before, I think it actually was the night before they had played Boston and uh, Jason Tatum had tested positive or was in protocol. I don't know if he tested positive or what, but was in protocol. And as a result, now Bradley Beal was traced. Uh, or they were in the midst of figuring out if he was. Therefore, they wanted to be on the safer side of things and pull him out. So that was interesting. It was just kind of a whirlwind for us. Obviously, the prep for the Wizards look a lot looks a lot different with or without Bradley <laughs> yep. Beal. Yep. Um, 
So that whole thing changes. And then, of course, we wake up in Boston and there are additional people from our team that are now potentially put in protocol. The Celtics only had, I think, eight people available also. So it was it was looking like it was going to be just a completely depleted game. We had no idea. We still thought we were playing. You know, the bus usually uh, leaves at 4 p.m. It's like 3.55 and we get a text saying, yeah, let's let's hold off on getting on the bus. We're going to wait and see. And then it just kind of keeps getting pushed, pushed, pushed. And then eventually it gets postponed. Uh, so definitely a weird feeling. I remember sitting in the hotel room at like what should have been game time and thinking like, am I like, am I missing something? Like, should I be at the arena right now? Like, you know, putting on my shoes, like getting ready to play. Um, but no, everyone was just kind of in their hotel room and didn't really know what to say or do. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't leave. So we were all just kind of chilling. And then you're supposed to play what the next night or maybe the night after in Philly, but you guys are then just in Boston, yeah. not really knowing what comes next. Yeah, so that that the plan for the road trip was obviously to um, play Boston. We usually travel after games, so get on a, a plane. No, but I mean like that night. You don't travel before the game. <laughs> okay, uh, we usually tra- travel the night of games after the game. I uh, appreciate you making me clarify. Uh, but we actually stayed the night in Boston just because they wanted to get another round of testing. They kind of wanted to see where the chips would fall with all of that. Who was going to be out due to tracing and whatnot. Um, so then in the morning we found out that we had guys that were traced and were going to be held out due to protocol. And as a result, they all took a plane back to Miami, uh, and the guys who were good to play stayed in Boston and and that night took a plane to Philly to, uh, to take on the Sixers the next day. So it was even that game. I think a lot of us were kind of anxious, unsure, of what was going to happen with that game and pretty much right up until once again we got on the bus it was like are we going to play tonight and uh obviously we ended up playing uh with only eight guys available so it was definitely an interesting dynamic yeah and what's the mindset like then because you guys go through these weird two days everything's up in the air you know that there's been some exposure then you get word of kind of like a check yes check no of who can go who can't you have eight guys which is the bare minimum Yep. Yeah. We actually had nine that were clear, but Myers uh, had sustained an injury in the previous game. So he was being held out. And then you're on the road, right? So like the rest of the guys, like you said, go back to Miami. So you know, all right, we've got two in Philly. This is the eight we're rolling with. Some of whom are guys that haven't really played NBA minutes yet. Yeah. Or at least had a a lot of experience. It, It was, you know, truthfully, it was just a kind of a next man up, you know, mentality. Um, I was excited for those guys and that I've, I've been in their shoes, particularly in my first year, not having had a lot of opportunity. And, you know, truth of the matter is, is it's really, really hard to play well in any setting when you just have such limited minutes. So I was excited for them to be able to be out there. And, you know, we only had eight guys, so everyone was going to play uh, to get comfortable, be able to play through some mistakes, develop some confidence. And, and I think that happened. You know, guys like Gabe Vincent, um, Max, Struess, uh, Precious played really well. Chris yep. Silva yep. came in and played really well. So for those guys to have that opportunity, uh, I think is going to end up being really good for us in the long run as it just establishes our depth further. Totally. And it's a unique uh, opportunity for you also, right? Because you now all of a sudden become a guy who, you know, you guys need to go through, right? Like for you guys to be competitive in Philly, you were going to need to be aggressive. You were going to need to take a little bit bigger role 
right? Am I, am I yeah, off Yeah, no, well, you know, a, a big thing for us in Miami is always like to play to our strengths. And the interesting thing about it is when the, the roster and the personnel shifts of, of who's available, our strengths then shift. Sure. So we had established early on that our strength was going to be three-point shooting and that it was basically going to be bombs away. So I think we took... 57 threes in that first game that first game in philly oh we were just letting it ride and they were too yeah i think danny green took 23s yeah 21 21 yeah yeah you guys were just it was insane yeah i mean that's we knew that was gonna be the only way that we could stay in it um is if we just let it rip with with uh, a whole lot of confidence so it was definitely a game plan <laughs> to just kind of go out there and, and be aggressive. I mean, it wasn't just mindless jacking. Like it was, it was very deliberate. These are the type of shots we need to get to. Cause we don't have, you know, we, the reality is we didn't have a guy like bam. We didn't have a guy like Jimmy who can, you know, get to the free throw line or get us points in the paint. And that those points were going to be need to, they were going to need to be made up in other areas. And that was going to be three point shooting, which I imagine is kind of fun, right? Like that's oh, gotta be exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's great for me to hear just to, like, I mean, I pretty much, I've been fortunate enough in this organization to have pretty much a green light anyways, but uh, safe to say that that night it was neon green. It was just like all things go, let it fly, let it rip. Uh, we, we really should have won that first game, which is was really disappointing uh, just because I think it would have been a just a great, like inspire, truly inspiring win to get uh, with just eight guys and, and just rising to the occasion. So that was disappointing to drop that one. And then in the second one in Philly, uh, we just didn't do enough to win, and and they were kind of able to to push the lead there, uh, especially towards the end. So, it was it was tough, and that definitely weren't the results we were looking for. But uh, we we certainly learned a lot. Yeah, and you guys battled. I want to rewind the clock a little bit because one of the funny things about us doing this podcast now is you'll text me randomly like, "Hey, remind me to tell this story," or "Remind yourself to ask me about this next week." Yeah, which is awesome. We're, this is week two, so. I say that, you know, this has happened once. Yeah. But a couple times. The text I got was remind me to tell a Robin Lopez story oh. next episode. So I know we've kind of we've we've gone past the Washington game. I think that was a couple nights before you guys yeah. were in Boston. Yes. But I wanted to ask you about the uh, mysterious Robin Lopez story. Yeah. So uh, I've kind of had the the privilege of, of getting to know Robin a little bit just through my friends have been his teammates. So I haven't really gotten to know him personally, although he seems like a, a really good, good guy, but I've heard stories about kind of how he is and really smart. I think both the, the brothers are, are really smart dudes. Obviously went to Stanford, yeah. um, have had long successful NBA careers, the both of them. Uh, so we, we were, uh, I think it was third quarter um, in Washington there. Tyler goes to the basket draws a foul he kind of you know does the the head back kind of leans into the call definitely maybe manipulates a whistle a little bit just you know just good basketball play smart iq uh but gets the whistle and tyler's at the line mind you there's there's no fans in washington uh like there aren't in many arenas so it is it's dead quiet you know some arenas like pump in noise fan especially when the away team is shooting no dead quiet oh dear robin is sitting on the baseline crisscross applesauce <laughs> mind you um and he's he's watching he's not in the game he's just sitting on the baseline and he has a, a very like deep clear voice and it's after the first free throw dead silence he goes this league is full of theatrics and thespians 
several of you are worthy of Oscar level performances for what you've done tonight. You should all be embarrassed. All of you embarrassed. And just the fact to throw thespians into NBA trash talk, I guess, was just fantastic. That is Stanford level it trash is. talk. It is. It's like grade A, just top tier trash talk. Are you even offended with something like that? It's almost like a compliment. No, I, I enjoyed it. I, I truly enjoyed it. I think Jerome Robinson, I, I was I was like blocking out uh, for the free throw and I just kind of laughed and, and Jerome laughed with me and he was like, yeah, that that's pretty much par for the course. That that happens often. Um, Not only did I get the foul, but I also apparently deserve an Oscar. This right, is, yeah. exactly. Um, so I, I just thought that was a fun one that uh, I thought you guys in particular would would enjoy. I enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, no that that was uh, that was good stuff. Also, obviously, some other news around the league. You know, the the James Harden trade yeah. with everything going on. You know, personal for for me in that one of my good friends in Karis, uh, somebody that I played with in at Michigan, was involved in that trade. And then obviously the the recent news with Karis, yeah. his health, uh, hoping and and praying and keeping him in my our thoughts. Yep, uh, I would say. Uh, just with everything moving forward, but definitely changes the landscape of, of really the, the league and particularly the Eastern Conference moving forward to have a, an MVP worthy player um, like that now in the East. I think it's just continued to solidify that the, the East is back. You know, the, the East has been slandered for the yeah. last, I don't know, six, five, six years. Um, <laughs> and now it's back. You guys play Brooklyn twice next week, I think. Yeah. That's going to be a fun one. It, it will be. I mean, they they uh, they certainly have the firepower now. Um, interesting dynamic with with what's going on with with Kyrie. Obviously, people are. I think everyone's trying to kind of wrap their their minds around that um, and, and figure out what's going on there. But um, yeah, even even without Kyrie, with with just KD and, and James, um, that's that's a whole lot of offensive weaponry. Yeah, it's a lot to handle. I envision that game going uh, like one of those three standing at the top of the key, just sort of waving everyone else to the corner <laughs> yeah. and just seeing what they can get uh, matchup wise. Yeah. Uh, the reality is, especially with those two, no matter who's guarding them, it's always going to be pretty much a favorable matchup. Uh, it's got to be defensively. Like it's got to be a team group effort. It's not going to be one guy that, that shuts down those guys just because yep. of how dynamic they are offensively. So we just wanted to touch on that as well. Um, particularly in, in regards to Karis and, um, just continue to, to send some some positive thoughts his way. Uh, we we also we have a new new segment alert. Whoa! Potentially, ding ding ding. Potentially, ah, that's the wrong. What's the sound effect for a new uh, segment alert? Wee wee. Uh, we we can yeah we, we can work on that. We need a soundboard. Um, we have a a long shot feature that we want to do. Yeah, and basically we need your help, the viewers, the fans. Uh, supporters, supporters. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to call them fans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listeners. I, I view, yeah, I view this as somewhat of a collaborative or effort. viewers on yeah. YouTube. Um, we have a long shot feature where we want to basically shout out a local to you. Doesn't have to be local to us, but like a grassroots long shot. Somebody yes. that has overcome the odds, uh, adversity, in maybe a way that is not getting the recognition they he or she uh deserves it could be a team it could be a person it doesn't have to be anything to do with sports oh, correct it could be anything in fact maybe better if it's not yeah broaden our horizons a little truthfully bit. yes um you can submit yours via social media correct we have uh, 
I think we have all the platforms now. Yeah, sure. Twitter, all, yeah. YouTube, all Instagram. those things that the kids are doing these days. Yeah. We're on. Uh, email also email. Well, you can email us as well, which is the long shot pod at gmail.com at gmail. So, uh, we won't have one for this episode because obviously we're just now announcing it, but please, uh, get out there and, and give us your submissions. We'll pick one for a week. Yeah. Um, we just want to get a read on what's going on out there. Yeah, we really do. We want to continue to engage and, and touch base with all you guys and support inspiring cool stories. Exactly. So uh, that that's a new segment alert. Uh, now to bring back a repeating segment, we have the NBA Reddit question of the day. Yeah, this is Davis's kind of world. Um, I'm living in it. So I'm just going to give him the the reins for this one. Well, I'm honored. First of all, thank you for the reins. Uh, no, I we got I think uh, pretty positive feedback on this one last week we, yeah, we really did. we loved it we also did a, a reddit ama yeah we did which was well, pretty you did. yeah i did you you supported me yeah thank you morally thanks for that um emotionally as well yes but uh which i think went pretty well so we definitely want to continue to uh kind of engage with that community as well but but davis has the reddit question of the day yeah this one uh is i've been just waiting for this one this one i'm pretty excited about i don't mean to build it up with too much anticipation okay. but it's one of my favorites uh and i've been itching to ask you this question because i think you'll have some good insight into it uh this one comes from 99 hog lagoons which okay is an incredible username <laughs> by the way let's just take a moment to appreciate that um also you guys play toronto tomorrow yes well, this will have released on Thursday. Yes. So you played them yesterday yep. also. See what I did there? Hopefully we secured a win. Yeah. And we'll also be playing them tomorrow. Where you hopefully secure another win. Yes, exactly. Uh, so it's fitting. I, I want to get a read from you. Imagine a scenario, and this is obviously hypothetical. Okay. But imagine a scenario where Fred Van Fleet is allowed to stand on Kyle Lowry's shoulders. Okay. And that counts as one player. Oh, wow. That's their starting center in Toronto is Fred Van Fleet on Kyle Lowry's shoulders. So let me just paint the picture for you. That player would be approximately 12 feet tall. Okay. They would have four arms. Oh, wow. A lot of deflections. But wouldn't really be able to move at, at all. all. I was going to say yeah. laterally, but really at all. Yeah. So think of the dynamic. Like, I think they'd only be able to play on one end of the ball. Yeah. But my question for you is, does that player make an all-star team? Um, my my initial response would be no. Dude, 12 feet tall? I, I understand that, but particularly, you know, the, the way the modern NBA is now, uh, we've, we've just moved away from those kind of like lumbering big men. You know, being oh. a five in today's NBA is all about mobility granted i know they bring like height and length to a new level yeah well, you, but they're actually not actually bringing length to a new level because they still have their same wingspan duncan 12 feet tall i understand that so offensively it's it's a lot it's like a lob dunk every time yes right? or defensively they take away an entire side but of they the court. but that's the point that the pace is so fast that they literally would not be able to do both Correct. i also question it from like a functionality standpoint <laughs> i think for the sake of the argument they're like Whoever's on top can't fall. Okay. I mean, that, that helps your case that they would be an all-star maybe a little bit. But I still, like, 
you need to be a somewhat of a two-way player. Like you need to at least exist on both ends of the floor. Like they literally would not be able to exist on both ends. I understand that. That's a valid argument, but think of them offensively. What they would do. Like their their efficiency offensively might be able to counteract the fact that they're literally non-existent on the defensive end. 12 feet tall and it's Fred Van Fleet on top. It doesn't matter who is. Both of them are skilled guys, but yeah. you know, they can 12 feet tall, Duncan. I'm I'm holding strong on my stance. I think they've got a shot. I don't think it's a lock, but I'll tell you this, we've certainly never seen anything like I it. I think they're unplayable, particularly in the playoffs. <laughs> I know that I know that's something that loves to get thrown around. Oh, that guy's unplayable in the playoffs. But I don't think they're playable in the playoffs. They're selling tickets, I'll tell you that. That they are. If yeah. people could come to the games. In this hypothetical, sure. people are allowed to come to the games. Okay. Yeah. I, I still I still don't think that they, they are personally. Um but I guess that means it was a good question of the day if, if we agree to disagree. I'm telling you, twelve feet tall with a guy as skilled as Fred Van Fleet at that height, I just don't see any world where he's not scoring every single time you give him the ball. Like that player's averaging ninety to a hundred points a game. I I don't know if I agree with that. That might be an egregious take. But well, also the fact that like when you're that tall like their like weight distribution would be off. like they wouldn't be able to like balance correctly. again for the like, sake they of the argument like they could be moved off of spots like you can't they can't just sit in the paint offensively so they, there has to be some movement there if they're standing on the block outside of the paint they're still what three feet away from the basket like what are we talking about here I think we're getting a little convoluted. Um, Maybe we've been on this too long. I, yeah, I, I still hold strong in that I don't think they would be. I think Fred and, and Kyle, you know, separate of each other, are two really dynamic players. Um, Imagine combining their powers. But yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave it. There. All right, fine. Yeah, we've been um, on this so way too long. Appreciate to to Hog Lagoons uh, for the thought provoking, unbelievable question. Question. Um, we will definitely continue to do the Reddit question of the day. That pretty much wraps up our our kind of like intro front of show. One quick thing, I would like to acknowledge our our first two Reddit questions of the day have led to Fred Van Fleet. In some way, that they have. Yeah, which is. I think which is which is great, but maybe we'll try to stray into it. Yeah, we'll yeah, stop pandering to, to yeah, Raptors right, fans. Right, right, right. But yeah, so so there you go. Uh, coming up, we got Andre. Uh, I really think you guys will enjoy this conversation. It goes uh, a whole bunch of different directions. So thank you for the support as always, and if you're listening to the Long Shot Pod. I'm here with uh, Andre Iguodala, 17th season in NBA, NBA All-Star, 2012 Olympic gold medalist, three-time NBA champion, 2015 finals MVP. That's just on the court. Off the court, we got vice president of the Players Association, creator of the Players Technology Summit, New York Times bestselling author, and venture partner in the Catalyst Fund here with us for our first interview, but maybe above all that, a good friend of mine, of course, a teammate, uh, Andre, welcome to the, uh, the long shot pod. Thank you for joining us. Out of all the interviews I've done, you've, uh, you've surpassed them all in terms of the introduction you just gave. It's beautiful. It's eloquent. You forgot world champion, world championships champion though. So next time we oh. do this for season two, you got to add that. Well, I was actually going to ask where does being the first 
guest on the long shot pod fall into those accolades? It's got to be somewhere near the top. It falls in the top, but considering the circumstances that only you and I and Davis knows about, ah, fell fell down a little bit. All right. Well, uh, well, we really appreciate we we really appreciate you being here. Um, I actually I want to start off with a story. Obviously, I, I grew up actually a fan of yours, as, as weird as that is. Um, but my actual my first actual interaction with you was we just traded for you at the deadline last year. Uh, you took the first whatever months of the season basically off, uh, but you were working more like two, we'll, more like two and a half. Two. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to that, but, um, you fly into Sacramento. We play in Sacramento. You have the longest physical in the history of the NBA, I believe. Um, and then the next day we play Portland. And I think the the agreement at that point was that you were going to wait a couple weeks to play, right? Correct. And that did not happen. In typical, uh, spoke fashion, he saw my weight and body fat and, uh, decided that, uh, I was ready to play in, two, in a day or two. Yeah, so we uh, we're gearing up to play Portland. Um, you know, the Miami Heat. One of the things that we do before games is we sit, sit around in the locker room, and sometimes we'll talk about intentions of of what we're going to bring to a game. And oftentimes, the intentions very much fit with Heat culture. You know, toughness. I'm going to bring to the game. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to do this on defense, this on offense. It's very technical. It's very, uh, very deliberate and intentional thoughts that you're going to bring. And we all go around and we're saying we're going to bring and we get to Andre and Andre has a total change of pace and says, man, I'm, I'm just going to go out there and enjoy it. You know, I've, I've, I'm excited to be here. I might not always be in the right spots. I don't really know what we're running because I haven't even had a practice with you guys yet. But I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy it, and I encourage all you guys to have fun with it as well. And uh, for me as a younger player, I was just I'm so entrenched with like we got to win. I got to do this. I got to do my job. And it was just like so refreshing to hear that perspective coming from you. So I, I guess my to really just open this up. How how did you how have you like cultivated that mindset now seventeen years in the NBA how have you gotten to that point? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just been where I've seen so many different things. You know, like I came in the league and people asked me like, what was my like favorite year where I had the most joy? And it was like, you know, my rookie year. I had no idea. Like I was just laughing every day, like playing around. And then like Allen Iverson just took all the pressure off me. Like I didn't. There was no expectations. I mean, I started every game. And playing defense was, was like second nature to me. So like that was easy. And then I was playing against players that I followed growing up. Like I had posters on my wall of uh, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen. Rip Hamilton was one of my favorite players because of UConn. I mean, Rasheed Wallace, I was a huge fan from Carolina. I mean, Allen Iverson is my teammate. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Kobe Bryant is like, you know, it's like God to me. Like it's just, it was just it's like I get to play against these dudes. So, I'm just running around having fun every day. And like he, and like no one really talked about me. I didn't have to worry about expectations or pressure. So I just had fun. Like it was just fun. But then as I got older, you learn the business of the game, you know, you get your second contract and then it's a different tone. It's like, you know, now you're in the machine, you know, now you're part of the machine, you know, it's just like, are you earning your pay every day? And then it's like, that's kind of like the worst place to be in. Like, you're like you're other people measure your success like they tell you whether you deserve what you're paid and like having to go through that where I went through it it helped me grow up like really fast like I grew up really fast um and then I like I, like every day 
out, walked outside with like a shield up, like, okay, I have to do this when I walk down the street because it may affect someone's perception of me, which is like the worst thought process to have in terms of like how you carry yourself. Like, you know, like you're on the court and you're handling business. And like the, the positive I take out of it is that I focused every inch of my life into the game of basketball. Like I was locked in, like I trained like no other, like I was in the gym all day. I was in the gym all the time. Like everything I did was like, I was lifting weights four times a week. You know, I had a team tell me like, yo, you're, you're in the weight room too much. You know, I think you're lifting too much. And it was just like, listen, man, nobody's gonna ever tell me that I didn't deserve my pay. And going through so many different things or all those things. And then getting into a situation like the Golden State Warriors, you know, playing with, you know, two of the best shooters of all time. And then like the great, like some of the best people of all time, not just basketball players, but good human beings. And in that environment, it was just like, yo, this, this is how it's supposed to be. Like you should come to work every day and enjoy working, but you can work hard too. Like people like would think like, oh man, y'all just over time to just beating everybody. They're like, no, nah, we had a perfect environment and like everybody working their game. Like, you know, you know, I'm like, yo, you work hard just like Stephen Clay work hard. And it's like, that's why I like Tyler so much. Like Tyler really loves to play basketball. And like, he really works on his game. I'm like, yo, them dudes is working just like that. Like they don't just get, get good just like naturally. Like you really have to own your craft. So we built something special, but we really enjoy each other's company. We really have fun every time we stepped on the court. And we got caught up in the machine of being great too. And, you know, it was kind of like a circus show. You know, we're winning so much and like we were the NBA's uh, cash cow and, you know, we ended up on these circus shows and these circus trips where we're traveling across country, one game, go to East Coast, one game, fly back home for a game, then fly here for another team's one game. And it's like TV schedule, like all that madness and took the joy out of it, out of it a little bit. So like the, the greatest approach is just enjoy it. And for me, it's bringing balance. So if I'm in a situation where things are like, I feel like it's too tight. I'm like, yo, I got to I sense it, like bring the balance. All right. Loosen it up. But at the same time, I've been in situations where it's been too loose and I'm like, no, 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 no. We got to tighten this thing back up. So it's not like I'm always like loosey goosey having fun. It's just, I'm just playing it by ear and, and, and seeing the room and filling it out and be like, okay, how can I bring the balance? And then how can I be of value to, to the situation? For sure. Um, you know, I think just in watching those Golden State teams at that point, I, w I was just a fan. Um, you know, in in college, like you guys truly played with with that joy that mm -hmm. you're talking about. And I think that when you came and joined us, I think that you unlocked that in us in, in a lot of ways. And, and and it's not to say that it was it was just you, but it was this constant. You were this constant reminder of how important that was. And you know, people talk about our success in, in the bubble. And I think so much of that was surrounded by that, that mentality of enjoying competing with, with one another. And, and the other side of that too, you, you talk about balance. One of my favorite parts about the, about being your teammate, particularly in the bubble was you would drag me out of my room to go play golf. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I, I didn't want to do it. I was legitimately scared. You would make fun of me all the time. I was legitimately scared to leave my room because, you know, I didn't want to be viewed as not taking this seriously, like that I had a responsibility to, to be on task. And you were just this constant reminder of, look, man, like you got to get out. You, you got to experience something other than basketball, especially in that bubble setting, right. which we certainly learned 
it's just you're surrounded by basketball everywhere all the time. Well, the funny thing about that is that, as you know, we talked about basketball a lot on the golf course. Right. Right. So I think sometimes people misconstrue, like, what you're doing away from the court. Like, they think, like, if you're not thinking about the game, if you're not on the court, you're not getting better at your job. And it's just like, no, you can just think about your job because it's, it's, it's who we are innately. Like, we our feelings, our vibes, our emotions are tied around the game. So if we play bad, it's going to be tied up in it. Now, you can get out of that stressful uh, the stressful mindset that you have by doing something else and then to kind of bring back, you know, some positive things about the job. And that's all I'm trying to do. So like, you know, it'd be me, you solo and KO. And we'd be like joking about like, why'd you do this on the court? Like that was really stupid of you to do this. Like not just you, but like you KO or y'all get on me. Like, yo, like, I, I mean, most, time, mostly me, but yeah, yeah. you get on you cause you were young. <laughs> but like, I remember one time I, like I couldn't move, like my back locked up on me and Jalen Brown, I wanted to kill him, but he like, he gave me the smallest push and I, I couldn't move. I was locked up and I hit the ground like weird. And Solo made fun of me while we were playing golf, but we just out there in comfortable setting. We just laughing about it. We can laugh about it. But I think sometimes people, they tell me like, yo, you're on a golf course so much. Like you still like basketball. I'm like, I think about basketball a lot on a golf course. It just frees my mind to where I can just breathe through it. And like, I talk about it uh, in my book where, and I talk about a lot even before that, where the 2015 uh, championship team, my first championship team, we were down 2-1 to Memphis, to the Grizzlies. Like, we were like, oh, oh, this might be it. Like, because Memphis was like grindhouse. Like, Marcus right. Conley was the player of the year, Zebo, you know, that whole squad, Mike Conley, you know, um, Tony Allen. Like, they were, they were threats. And we were like, yo, we're down 2-1, going to game four on the road. Like, it's do or die. And we went to the golf course the day after we lost. Like, most people would have been like, y'all crazy. And we went to the golf course and just had the most relaxing conversations about just life and in the game and what we do. We went and won three straight games. Yeah. And and then it kind of like, not to Seriously. say that, that was a make or break moment, but like that really helped us like, not like think about something in a different way. Like you can solve a problem. It is just it doesn't always have to be stressful in thinking about problems. Like you just solve it in a different way, and that's just how we did it. Andre, I assume that that's harder now, right? Significantly than when you first came into the league. You've talked about dealing with the media when you were a rookie. AI helped you. Like, don't read the newspaper, right? Stay away from the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Now you can't just stay away from the newspaper, right? Like social media is everywhere. I assume it's harder now to, to get away. You can go to the golf course and you can turn your phone off, right? But then as soon as you turn your phone back on, you're likely coming across something when you're down 2-1 in a series to Memphis where it's like, shit, now I'm all of a sudden reminded about you know last night and I'm bummed again. How have you found, you know as social media has become more prevalent and you're now sort serving kind of like a mentor role, right? How have you found to talk to these young guys, Duncan being one, in dealing with that, in dealing with, with kind of, uh, the social media that's constantly prevalent. I think what I learned and I always tell guys is you got to kind of curate your phone, you know, like you can, you can set your phone up to only allow yourself to see things, uh, however you want to see them. Like some guys are motivated, um, by people who doubt them, who don't think they're as worthy. Like some people like feed off that. So, I mean, for them to constantly see it, you know, they might feed into it. I think it's, it, become, it becomes emotionally draining. Like, it's just unnecessary. I think you can use it as fuel, but over 
over time. It's just they're always going to win because they're never going to be you and they never can do what you do. So they're undefeated because they can never stop. Like they don't lose. Like what's the loss for them? Like, so what? They say what they said and nobody's going to remember them anyway. So it becomes it just becomes a drain. So for me, is I'm, I'm always saying like, yo, set your phone up to only see what you want to see. So like if you go to my Twitter uh, it's a, I've learned to use that, uh, mute button a lot. Like some people, some people may annoy me and I'm like, ah, if I don't follow them, they might be in their feelings. So I just mute them or some folks I just won't follow. And then, you know, I'll just see certain things that I want to see. So obviously, uh, basketball is, you know, one of the things that I, you know, do for a living, like it's my main job in terms of salary. Uh, so there are a few things that I need to see to know what's going on in the world, uh, the different things that are happening there. So it's a few people who are, unbiased and you know you won't see any gossip type things going on but everything else is a lot of tech stuff you know like so I constantly see the news on what's going on in the tech world and then Instagram's kind of the same way like I really don't even use Instagram like I don't post much on Instagram it's just more or less just uh keeping up to date with the culture you know my people whatever they're doing whatever they got going on so I really don't even see that stuff maybe the explore page or like most of the stuff I get is from friends being funny like look check this out so other than that like I don't see it so I always tell guys like you can curate your phone not to see the nonsense. You bring up a, a super interesting point that I've come back to a lot in my career in that, especially now with, with all everybody having a voice, you can always tap into that, you know, shout out to the haters or the people, you know, doubting me and you can mm -hmm. always tap into that. But I, I think that you're right in that, in that that can tend to be exhausting and that what I've actually learned in my career is to like lean into that when maybe you need to, but it, it's actually more important to empower and enable the people that are actually in your corner and, right. and are believing in you and think that you're capable. I think that there's, you know, there's this obsession to the point where there's like companies now that are like, you know, prove people wrong. Like there's right. this obsession around that where it's like, where, where are you really tapping your energy into then? It's like, it's, be, it's becoming obsessed with the negative. Um, mm -hmm. And once again, I think, you know, even, even our team, like we talk about having this massive chip and we talked about it in the bubble. And I think that there's times when like, you know, I was undrafted. This dude had a, had his name called on draft night. Like I'm going to use that as fuel. Like mm -hmm. some GM out there fucked up. Right. Like, and, and you can tap into that. And, and it's not just me, but like, even somebody like Bam talks about the guys that were taken in front of him, the, the lottery picks. Um, and I think it's, it's a useful tool to have, but I love what you're, you're saying. And I think it t ties into your like whole perspective on everything the importance of like knowing when and how to use that and not just having it be like the constant. Like, that's perfectly, perfectly put. And that chip, I think, is. It's just your competitive nature, which we all have. So right. I don't, I don't like the chip is cool. Like mm -hmm. yeah, I got drafted ninth. So it was eight guys ahead of me. I'm like, oh, I can't wait till I see y'all. Like that's just competing though. Like this is your competitive nature. And then it's the guys behind you is like, they coming after you. So you just competing. But like when you're looking at like people who don't do what you do and you're constantly trying to prove them wrong, it's like, they can't lose. Like you're not going to go up against them. Like, you go up against the guys that were drafted before them. Like, you're going to see them. Like, I'm going to see you at some point, and we're going to square this thing away. Like, you can do that. But it's people – it's like we have a lot of guys who – in our league who, like, they're constantly saying, like, yeah, everybody doubted me. I was like – at some point, it's just like they don't exist anymore. Like, for me, they don't exist. Like, I have my goals, and I, 
I set high standards for myself. If I'm beating it, proving anybody wrong, it's myself by saying, look, man, you can do this. You got to get it. If you don't get it, you let yourself down. Like that's, that's where my focus is. Like anything or anybody else's opinion, they really don't exist. And that's why like, you know, I have an interesting relationship with the media because I have this, like, I don't really care, like attitude toward it. It's not that, not that I don't care. It's just like, I really don't have, I really don't care about your opinion. And most of the time I don't care about your question unless it's a very educated question and you really want me to speak to, you know, whatever we're talking about, like a, a, a great, it's like you have a few interviewers who are really good. I'm like, okay, they're going to ask some very intellectual questions. We're going to talk about the game on a deeper level. But when they get to asking these dumb questions about this guy and that guy, and it becomes like this NBA gossip, I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, like yeah. go away. Not, not that I'm traditional media, but I, I hope you care about my questions. Um, I, I just want to. No, but we're having there. like intellectual conversation. That's what I just said. Like, you know, right. there's, no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no. some really good. There's some really good. Or the majority of them are really good, and the media gets a bad rep because there's those few who like to pull. Like, they don't even get the direct information. Like, they right. pull quotes. Like, I've been caught right. in that so many times where someone pulled a quote one sentence from a paragraph of what I spoke and then put that out. And it's like, did you not hear what I said before and after it? Like it all tied together, but it's just like, you know, we call them culture vultures. Like they come in and, and just try to mm-hmm. see and, and take value out of what we did and, and prop themselves on it. So that's just the way the game goes sometimes. You've been, uh, you've been caught up in some fake quotes as well. Some in, fake in, quotes. In regards right. to, to myself. Exactly. I, uh, I had to answer to that all last year and it's just like dude like do do your research like you are paid as a journalist like it it should not be hard to figure out that that is a fake tweet and and for those who maybe don't understand this last year andre not andre but andre was fake quoted as saying that i was like a ball boy he thought i was a ball boy when i first got when he first got to miami and then i like can I read it? I, I wrote it down. I wrote it down because I, I, I was hoping that this would come up. So I did. I, it, it's when I first got to Miami, I thought he was a ball boy or some shit. I was like, yo, this kid's shooting better than the players on the squad. Then I saw him take off his warmups and drain six threes in the game. He's easily the best shooter I've ever played with, which... <laughs> And you I had think- the answer to that, which is like, you didn't even say it. Like, and you're, you're, you're taking time out of your day to answer right. to that in the media. It's just, it's like the media in a nutshell, in my opinion. I give them credit though. Like there is something that the sarcastic me would say. So <laughs> okay. I wasn't too upset, but if you do your research as a journalist, which is part of your job to do research and know who you're talking to and what type of person they are. Like, if you do your research, then you would know that if I even uttered those words, I was joking. Yeah, that that's that's elite elite company. Um, and, and once again, it's just something that you wouldn't say. Um, I, I actually, I want to go to the bubble uh, real quick and just highlight one experience that I had with you as well in something that was somewhat well-documented. I actually think loosely documented was the players only meeting mm-hmm. that existed in the bubble. Um, the Bucks had just decided to uh, not play against the Magic uh, in their playoff game uh, in, in protest of what happened in Kenosha. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the league was kind of put on pause. And we all come together in a ballroom at Disney, 
all the players and originally all the coaches. And after about basically 45 minutes to an hour of, of an, not, I don't want to say unproductive, but like people were going back and forth and there wasn't any sort of solution in sight. We base you actually, I shouldn't say we, I was just kind of like a fly on the wall, just kind of taking this all in. Um, you decided along with Chris Paul to basically kick out all the coaches and it became a players only meeting and we would talk about everything moving forward and we would talk about how we were going to handle ourselves as a league moving forward and all of a sudden you and and Chris are like thrust into this situation where you have to account for all these different egos all these different you know opinions and and diff, you know people pulling you different ways and first off, I, I just want to say you, I feel that you were not, or Chris for that matter, were not given nearly the credit that you deserve for handling the room the, the way that you did. Um, but I, I just want to ask you, like, how do you, how do you go about doing something like that? How, how do you coordinate? How do you lead? Obviously leadership is something I think at this point in your career that some, that comes somewhat natural to you, but I think that is just at an entirely different level. Well, first of all, I appreciate that. And Honestly, like, you know, you kind of just like I was talking about, you know, my years in Philly, like I had to grow up really fast, especially when Allen Iverson left. Like it was just like here, this is the ball is yours. And, you know, this is a city who they gonna let you know if you ain't doing it right. So what you going to do? So I had to grow up really fast and I had to take hits and lumps. Uh, I had some successes. Uh, the interesting thing about that is that there's a lot of love there. It's just outweighed by the few who were just overbearingly like just, you know, you get a little evil, you know, and this is just the way of the world sometimes. So, uh, but with the team, I was a leader. I was like young and I was supposed to be the guy of the team. So I had to be the leader. And, you know, we talk about this with Bam. It's like he's so young. He just he's got so far to go and he's ahead of his time in terms of being a leader. But he still got a ways. To, he still got some 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 ways to go just because he's just so young. He just hasn't seen things. So. He's doing a much better job than I did. Like, I made some mistakes. You know, I remember a few, like, uh, team situations where I didn't handle well because I'm like, you know, I'm trying to get my contract. I got to get my points, you know, or I got to – if we lose, they're going to blame me. Like, I just had to figure a few things out. But all that is to say that it helped me with my, you know, my maturation or me becoming a, a better leader and me surrounding myself with people who hold me accountable. I had really good vets who had me accountable, Kevin Ollie's, Aaron McKee's. Uh, Cordis Williamson's like I had some really Tony Petit had some really good veterans, you know, so uh, Calvin Booth, who's a GM in uh, Denver now, like I had really good vets. Um, uh, who am I? Why am I? Reggie Evans was an amazing vet for me. Like he just always kept it real with me, Andre Miller. And like it helped me like take a step back and say, get away, get rid of the ego and how could I have done the situation better? So fast forward now, getting involved with the union, you know, originally because I wanted to learn a business. I want to learn how things work from the top down. You know, uh, why do we have these type of TV deals or why is it with TNT or why is it with ESPN um, going forward? You know, where there ever be um, live games on Netflix, where there be live games on Prime, uh, would it be through the NBA, you know, uh, subscription service that we have with the league pass? Like all these things are, you know, a part of me wanting to become part of the union, you know, uh, why do we have drug testing? And it's just us in the NFL. Why doesn't, you know, NHL or MLB, they have drug testing, but essentially not drug testing. And is it, why is it our league? You know, why do we have to pay taxes uh, um, as personal entities 
um, through NBA, why can't we do it through LLCs, which is a huge tax breaks, you know, because so many other people do it. Like, why can't we do it? So all these things are flying through my mind, give a lot of credit to my business partner, my agent for helping me grow through this process. And when you take this duty, you understand you're not getting paid for it. Um, you're going to get blamed for a lot. As you can see, anytime something comes up, um, I'm the one that gets asked, what's the players union doing? Why do we have to do this? Like, I get that question every day, especially like now, like it's a daily occurrence. Why are we testing at night? Why we got to do this? Why we do that? Why can't we leave our room? And it's like, I'm the one that's supposed to have all the answers. So understanding all those things and understanding my role is to support Chris Paul uh, at any given time. And um, all those meetings we have uh, every year and people don't see the hours upon hours of calls that we have dealing with uh, large matters in terms of uh, bargain, uh, collective bargaining agreements, been through a strike, uh, been through a, a, a lockout for like a month and a half. And then uh, to small things like the ball, like we got a new ball coming in next year and I'm supposed to approve the ball. Like just, it's just, it's just constant, you know? And, and then my wife would tell you, like, she's on my ass constantly. Like, is it your plate full enough? You know, I, I hear that a lot. So all those things, like it, it you just kind of it's like it's like practicing, you know what I mean? And then you just you just get comfortable in that role and uh, sitting back watching CP go through it is like, whoa, like we went through some battles like, you know, I even was joking with uh, Blake Griffin uh, when we played against them recently. And that never would have happened when I was with the Warriors and they were with the Clippers. Like we really hated them. Like that was a real rivalry. Like they hated us and we hated them. But just that building that respect and working with CP is like we both built that respect for one another. Like, yo, this is a tall order and we got to have our shit together and we got to be ready for whatever because we got to hold it down for 450 players and 450 different egos, as you saw. Uh, so you just get comfortable in a role and you just you just try to be a crutch for the next guy, especially with our executive committee and uh, all the guys are locked in. And uh, like, that's a beautiful thing because it's not planned, but you're just ready for whatever, you know, it's just similar to us going to the bubble. Like we were locked in when we were on our way to the bubble. Like, look, we're going to embrace this madness we're about to step into and, and we're going to try to make the best of it. And we did. Yeah. I, I, uh, certainly do not envy the, the situation that you're in just having to, to monitor that room. I mean, I, I was just overwhelmed literally like being in it. Like we, we were all just had these chairs set up, you know, socially distanced, um, or at least trying to be. And it was like this giant circle and, and you and Chris just at the center of it, trying to, to like install some order, um, which, you know, when you get all those opinions and, and egos flying around is, is just, a really the ultimate task. In, in my opinion, I'm, I'm, I'm just impressed that you were able to do it. No, for sure. And for me, it's like, I don't even, like you say, I, you know, maybe I didn't get enough credit. Like, I'm not looking for any. Like, that's how I approach a lot of things. And I think you get the best results out of it. It's just like, you know, you see those, you know, those painters or those artists whose works get sold for millions. Like, they don't do it for the money. Like, they just do it because they love it. You know what I mean? And for yeah. me, it's just like, it's the person that's most silent that's the most deadly, you know? And I try to take that approach, like, it's just like my game too. Like now, as I'm older, like my game is like you know, like Duncan. I'm, I'm passing you the ball, and I, I may not get an assist because you might have to take a dribble or two. But I don't care. I'm just gonna put you in a position to where you can you can get your shit off. And I'm cool with that. Like I don't really care. And then you know, as you know, like people like people don't see that on people that don't know basketball, they don't see it. And like Draymond said it like last week. You know, Draymond with voice his opinion. He was like, 
you don't know shit about basketball. <laughs> so, so like, you don't know my value. So I don't care. You know, he said it, he said it perfectly. Um, but for me, it's like, I, I don't, I don't mind if I don't get credit. Like, you know, I know my value and I know some of the things that I'm doing that's uh, putting out the right vibrations, putting out the right, you know, I'm just trying to build that aura. Uh, but I don't have to get any credit. I'm cool with that. It's it's crazy to me if there's anything that I've learned like in my my first three years or two and a half, whatever you want to call it, is how difficult it, it is to win in the NBA and how much having somebody like you on a roster like truly deeply matters and, and how much that moves the needle to the people in the locker room. Like you said, people who, you know, pundits or, you know, people who are looking at box scores, all that type of stuff, don't even begin to understand it in the slightest but i think the people like you like you mentioned the people that really are in it and, and get it know how far that stuff goes yeah and 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 it's it's deeper than basketball too like i learned that when uh i think it was aaron mckee you know like it's funny like you remember stuff that i say because i'm like your vet but i remember like i hold on to every word my vet said so aaron mckee was like one day he was like listen man when we are retired and we're old who are we reaching out to like, cause everybody we take care of, like, you can't take care of for the rest of your life. Like, you're not taking five of your friends, 10 of your friends on vacation, you know, when you're 45, 50 years old, like, oh, that's done. You do that while you're playing. But, like, who are you going on vacation with? Like, who are you going on date night with? Like, right before I was traded, I went on date night with uh, Zaza and his wife and Sean Lewiston and his wife. And it's like, this is kind of like, these are real bonds. Like, like you my brother. Like, I'll be saying it to you all the time, and I'll be thinking, like, I hope he knows I'm dead ass serious. Like, we really family, like in 15 years, I'm going to call you and I'm going to come see you. Like, I'm not just saying it's because I want you to win the game tonight. Like I'm dead ass serious. I don't really care about the game. Like we did what we're supposed to do to get ready for the game. But what I'm saying to you is that this is a real brotherhood. This is a, this is a real connection. So like when Aaron McKee told me that, it let me know like these relationships are real. So I take them all like very carefully. Like each teammate I encounter is like, yo, I really want the best for you not for right now in the next five, 10 years, but for like 20 years down the line where we can just link up because that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. Hopefully in 15 years, I can hold my own on the golf course because right now all you do is bust my ass. So I want to ask you, you referenced earlier about your interest and in just your general curiosity with business. And you know, last year I thought it was so funny to hear you talk about how you were basically working a full-time job um, with the uh, the Comcast Fund last year and everything that you're doing now with the Catalyst Fund. And I'm I'm just curious. Obviously, you know, you you came up uh, really in in that that sphere in Silicon Silicon Valley, and particularly like you've been an advocate for underrepresented demographics in that tech space and. I'm curious as to how you, I don't want to just say get taken seriously, but like prove to these people that you're not just there in name to double up your checks, to to do anything. But like, if there's anything I've learned from talking to you, it's that you actually like love this stuff. Like you, like you get just as excited about this type of stuff as you do when we start talking basketball. So like, how is it that you convince these people that you actually have this, this deep rooted passion? Well, I think you've shown more than anything, you know, and then your track record becomes, you know, who you are. 
you know, I think Warren Buffett said, you know, you can t- it takes a lifetime to build your reputation, but it takes, you know, two minutes to ruin it. So, but your track record speaks for itself. And then, uh, you know, Mark Jackson was, he's, his favorite line was, you know, look at his body of work. He talked about a player was like, look at this guy's body of work. Like, what are we talking about? Like his body of work speaks for itself. So for me, like, I'll try to let that do the talking. And, you know, I remember my first, first day or two working with Comcast uh, and they were asking some questions and, you know, it's funny because Elena Beard, who was a WNBA player, went to Duke, uh, similar type games, very fierce on the defensive end, and then just a smart basketball player. She and I have been talking recently. And, um, you know, she's with a uh, she's with a venture capitalist firm now. And, you know, she was just speaking about how, like, that transition is, like, it's really hard. And it was really hard for me. Like, you're hearing acronyms that you never heard before. And like, what? Like, I'm Googling as I'm having a conversation with somebody because I have no idea what they're saying. But over time, like I made sure like I'm Googling stuff, I'm writing stuff down. As soon as I get home, I'm making sure I know the next time I hear this word, I know exactly what it means. And then obviously I got my books that I'm reading constantly. And then I talked about curating your phone. Like everyone's on their, on their phone. So like I curate my phone. So I remember like I was on a plane and uh, KO saw me for a couple of weeks and he was like, bro, like, is that what you were reading? Like I was telling him what I'm reading. He was like, that's what you read on the plane. I'm like, yeah. He's like, bro, I thought you were on your phone the entire flight. I'm like, no, bro. I'm like, I was working. He was like, <laughs> ah, makes sense. But all that information that I'm bringing in by curating my phone, now I'm able to have these conversations with people. Now I'm able to do these deals. Now I'm serving on the board, bringing real value to it. And I think for me, like, as you know, when I'm on the court, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm you know, I'm trying to find, work i'm trying to crush space you know that's like a navy seals term find work crush space and like you just, i just try to do that in my everyday life anything that i do whether i'm playing golf all my passions golf basketball and and you know my tech work where it's just like i'm i'm already behind the eight ball i gotta catch up you know so that's just my focus on everything and then the track record speaks for itself and, and now i'm talking to people and they're, they're always i get this one question it's like are other athletes as vested as you are like you know if you want to bring other athletes in that's cool but are they putting in the time that you're putting in because now i'm dealing with these people every day like my partner in crime at the catalyst fund she's always like are 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 other athletes this interested or are they putting in this much work because you know it seems like you're one of the few i'm like yeah but you know once we show them the ropes you know they'll figure it out like we know how to work hard is just transferring the energy into a different space and we can pick up stuff on the fly. You know, we're, 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 t- we're proactive humans. Like we know how to be there before we're supposed to be. And it's just transferring the energy into a different space. It sounds like your wife might be right that your plate is pretty full. You've talked about, you've talked about how you're in a transition phase mm-hmm. now in your life, right? So like obviously bat your basketball player first, but this stuff is ramping up. It seems how do you, can you talk just a little bit about, you know, you're on a plane, right? A lot of the time you're on the road, you're in a hotel room now. So you have time to be doing these other things, but being a professional basketball player, I imagine is pretty demanding. I get to see a little bit through Duncan's life, just what's required. How do you find that balance of time? Because you do have your wife and and son that you're also giving time to. So where do you find time for all that? Right. Wife and the three kids. So, you know, wifey's holding it down, you know, uh, as Duncan, you know, as he gets older and he decides, you know, whether he wants to get married and have kids and do that whole thing, like he's going to see like women truly run the world. Like, it's just, and you always say that too. You, you always say that women are the greatest species ever. 
assembled and facts <laughs> do whatever they say i truly believe that though that's a true story like they're going to be the leaders of the, the next revolution so um wifey's tough like you know like duncan and i had this crazy conversation on you know what people should be attracted to you know and i'm like yo guys are attracted to the wrong thing like you should be attracted to trying to figure out how to politically be correct essentially you should be attracted to smart people like higher iq people is what you should be attracted to so i say like yo man the first thing you should think about when you are talking to a uh you know a partner or a female is you know breeding like breeding is a big thing and then somebody might be like oh what do you mean breeding i'm like don't you want your kids to be smart like, don't you want to be with somebody that's going to hold you accountable, lift you up, blah, 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 all those things, right? I'm drifting away from the point, but I'm getting some cool <laughs> at the same time. So you got to work your game, Duncan. But I like where this one. She had to politically be correct, but I'm being serious and I'm being honest. Like, yeah, those yeah. Are true statements. Like, I'm not BS, right? So uh, my wife like got like perfect on the ACT. So I know she can hold it down in the meanwhile. Plus, she got her own business too, you know. And and it's just it's just a, having a a trying to have a good balance. I got to say trying, cause I'm not really that good at, I'm not good at it right now. Like I'm failing at balancing because it's like heavily skewed on the business side and basketball side, but you know, I'm getting better on the other side. Like, it's just like you learning, like you have to learn how to be a father. Like nobody can teach you how to do that. Nobody can teach you how to be a, a good husband. Like you got to work on that because we're not all married to the same person. Like everybody's unique in their own way. But um, as a basketball player, you learn your time. Like they tell you in rookie transition program, like, you're going to have a lot of off time as a professional athlete. Like there's no more school, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to go to class. So you're going to be in practice. Max practice practices an hour and a half, two hours. And then you're lifting for an hour and treatments, 30 minutes. You know, that's four or five hours. That's four hours of your day, five hours max. Like you got 19 hours to do whatever. And that's where most athletes get in trouble. So it's like, what are you going to do with that time? So once you figure out your schedule, and it's only two types of days in, in, as a professional athlete. It's, it's a game day, it's a practice day. And then all days are here and there. So you got two days. So you're working and figuring out those days. And as you get older and as you are more experienced, you figure out, okay, I got this. I got this much time to do this. I got this much time to do that. I saw the funniest um, was a TikTok or Instagram post somebody sent me. It was a female talking to a professional athlete. And it was like, female, hello, how are you? Athlete was like lifting weights. She was like, okay. And then an hour went by. He, he was like, what's up? She was like, oh, okay, how are you? What you doing today? And then, like, another hour went by. Oh, I just finished practice. And yeah. Like, hey, how are you? Like, what's doing later? And then, like, three hours passed by. Oh, I just finished a massage. Like, those are really – like, those are athletes. That's real. Hours. Like, it was crazy. I'm cracking up laughing. Like, wow, that's really how it is. But, like, we have this just crazy, like, uh, schedule. And Duncan can tell you, I have these alarms that go off. Like, people are like, you have these weird alarms. And, like, that's just how my day goes. Like, it's a wake-up alarm. And then there's the pregame nap alarm. And then there's like another alarm where I usually take most of my uh, business calls. So it's just like, it just be going on randomly. Dre, I want to kind of finish up here uh, or begin to finish up here, I should say, with kind of a, a big picture question in, in regards to, to your journey, um, your career. It doesn't have to be your basketball career, but maybe just your, your life journey in general. Um, if, if you had to pick a specific moment or experience or word of advice, you know, take it in whatever direction you want 
that you felt was a tipping point or a catapult or a springboard for your success or or just like a new added perspective that you felt really changed things for you. Um, and, and it might have just been something you learned on your own. doesn't need to come from somebody or whatever. Is there something in your mind that, that sticks out to you? Uh, there's two things. And that's a really good question. I see you. Duncan's been doing his homework. You're going to be really mm. good at this. And then, uh, as you know, podcast, you got to keep popping them out. All right. Yes, sir. Got that next one, next one, next one, next one, next one. You got to keep hitting them, keep hitting them, keep hitting them. But you, you're getting it. But two things um, that come to mind with your question is, uh, you know, it was in my book. Like I had a, I had a teacher. I was in like seventh. I was eighth grade. So I was 13, 14, 14 years old. And uh, I was going to this high school where most of the basketball players went. And uh, like, I, you know, like we're in like grade school, middle school, like we look up to the, the, the elite high school players. So it was a couple guys that went D1 and like they were like they were like the Kobe Bryant's and Michael George to me. Like one guy was Jeff Walker. Amazing talent. Should have played in the league. So teacher told me, uh, are you going to that school? I'm like, yeah, I was supposed to go to a different school. And he was like, yeah, you'll be a loser just like the rest of those guys. Like I would never forget that. And it was just like my whole thing was just to get as far away from home as possible just to get out of that city. Cause most of the guys got stuck there. We got so much talent, but they always end up back home. Like they end up in college for a semester and always end up back home. So like that stuck with me from 14, just to get as far away from home as possible. And, um, you know, that's why I went to Arizona. Like I'm not going to allow myself to get back home. And, uh, another one was a interesting conversation I had with an agent. So, um, after I, I never expected to go to the NBA. Like I didn't know how good I was. Like, it's weird. Like, now everyone knows they're going to the league in eighth grade. Like, you know, like that kid is going to go to the league in 2027. 20, like, it's weird. Like, they know that now. But uh, I wasn't highly touted. Like, no one heard about me until the summer before my senior year of high school. So I'm just like, okay, I'm now I'm, I'm getting recruited. Now I'm going D1. I'm going to have a scholarship. Like, I know that. Like, but I didn't know I was going to NBA. I just like, all right, I'm going to go to Arizona and – Worst case, I'm going to be on the number one team in the nation. And I'm playing with the best guys. So I got to get better, but I'm going to be on a good basketball team and I'm going to get better. And then I'm going I'm to graduate from college or whatever. And uh, not even an ages conversation, but I found maybe I'll send it to you. No one's ever seen this. It's for your podcast. I don't know if I should give you this. I'll say this one for myself. I found my, <laughs> um, I was a scholar athlete of the week and mm. asked you all these questions, like your favorite subject, which is interesting. My favorite subject was economics. And I was like, whoa. And group economics on the back of my jersey in the book. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. Like, now I remember the class reading. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, this was my junior high school. And then, uh, like, favorite things to do was hanging out with my girlfriend. Like, that's my wife now. And then um, favorite teacher was Miss White, my math teacher. And then one question was like, what do you see yourself doing in 10 years? And my answer was uh, coaching at the high school level. And now I'm like, 19 Damn. years later, I'm still in the league. Like, there's, there's no way I'm coaching in high school unless it's like some charity work. Like I coach my high, son's high school team. Right. But like, I'm like, Whoa, like you read those things from so long ago, it just blows your mind. That's in 2000, 2001. Uh, but the conversation I had with the agent was, um, he was asking me questions about, uh, the team and this is during my sophomore year. And, uh, he was asking me so many questions about how he wanted to represent me. And finally I asked him, I was like, yo, whoa. why are you texting me? Like, I don't understand what you want from me. And he was like, I want to represent you. I'm like, for what? He was like, to play in the league. I'm like, 
I'm like, you think I can go pro? He was like, bro, what's wrong with you? I'm like, bro, every day, like, I'm going to practice and I'm just hearing somebody yell at me about how I got to be better. So in my mind, I'm thinking I'm light years away. Like, I'm like, I'm not that good. I'm not that good. Like, all I'm hearing is somebody telling me, be better. You got to do this better. You got to do this better. So I'm not having, like, I don't have a clue. But the guy was like, bro, you going lottery. I'm like, man, you lying. He was like, are you crazy? So that put like the confidence in my head. Like, and you're like a prime example of that. Like we tell you all the time, like Duncan, are you crazy? Like you're the, one of the best shooters in the world. And then when you get into your swag, you like, huh? And then I see you in the game sometimes where you'll pull up a shot and, and you'll make it and looking like the defense, like, are y'all crazy? Like y'all really let me <laughs> But like, but you don't know until you know, right? Right. But like, that was just like, once you figure that out, like the changes, like you start seeing the world different. Like once you figure out who you are, like I am who I am. Like, wow, I didn't. Okay. Like it's like Drake's thing is like, you know who you are. It's real when you are who you think you are. Yeah. And um, it's interesting. I said a Drake verse, but anyway, <laughs> that's a great verse. Like for us all. I, uh, it, it's interesting because obviously we have like the long shot theme and on paper, maybe, you know, someone would say, oh, you know, he was the top 20 player in the country and and he went on to, to play someone, you know, went on to play Arizona and, and did all these amazing things, number nine overall pick. But it's like, I, I felt that you would be perfect for our, for our first guest, largely in part because I've had these conversations with you and, and I know that you've like cultivated that mindset. And, and in many ways, that's like made you who you are and, and what you are today. So that's part of the reason why I felt that last question. Um, I don't know. I, I just hope that it would resonate with you. And obviously you gave a big time answer that I think a lot of people can take a lot of things from. For sure. People don't know I'm supposed to be a high jumper. <laughs> I was supposed to be a, uh, I was going to college to be a high jumper first and then, but I was always good at basketball. I just didn't know that it would translate to where I'm at now. Right. Fun fact for you, Andre. I was also a high jumper in, uh, seventh grade and i think if i remember correctly uh i went to the city tournament the city championship i got eighth out of the 15 that were at the city championship i think i jumped like four eight or something so i I was a freak athlete my wife was a high jumper i think she did like she was about five ten. She may have i don't think she got six foot but that that tells you everything you need to know about davis's athletic (laughs) ability um all right, man. So we have we have a segment that we finish up with, uh, or we will be finishing up with with all our guests. Obviously, you're our first guest. It's a it's an undrafted segment. So basically, the the idea is we're going to give you three different topics. Uh, doesn't need to be like quick hitter, but but just kind of first thing that comes to your mind. And we want like underrated, underappreciated uh, themes, right? So so maybe not like the most common responses, but uh, you know, kind of like the long shot answer, if you yep. will. So the first topic, and these are all you, we're, we're tapping out of these. So I'm going to give you three. The first one is underrated or underappreciated tech investments that are on the horizon. And you don't have to give away any secrets, but, <laughs> but maybe, maybe something small that, you know, maybe a nugget here or there. Or give some secrets. We'll cut this out and Duncan I, and I'll hey, just take I it. I got some, I got some heavy hitters on the way this I've been, I've been in my bag. Like I, I'm, I'm feeling myself right now. I'm doing my Duncan Robinson pulling up from half court and it's going in. Uh, I got three big ones this week. 
uh, Roblox. And Roblox is a, uh, a phenomenal platform in terms of scaling because kids come to this platform, play their games, but they're also building games as well. So it's almost, it's almost like a marketplace because, you know, your, your, your users are your developers as well, which is very rare. Like how often do you see that? Now I'm talking yeah. tech, right? Like now I'm using words that I wouldn't know. But I feel like you can feel yourself when you're actually putting in the work and you have a passion for it. Right. It's like somebody talking about basketball, right? Just analyzing the game. But Roblox is a huge one. Uh, my uh, two older kids use it, my 13-year-old and my 11-year-old. Uh, they talk about it all the time. They play this one game that's crazy on there. Uh, so Roblox is one. Uh, the other one is Robinhood, as you all know about Robinhood. Maybe that's not under – no, Robinhood is big because they're taking a portion of their set shares and they're allocating them to their users. And you've never seen anybody who has a platform where they're – users uh have access to shares and with Robinhood being a um a trading platform uh you've never seen something like this so this is going to be a big one and then lastly uh just got news today i think i can say this whoa breaking news uh hymns, just hymns is a big one i won't say how it's happening but hymns uh, look uh, forward to hymns hymns you've seen uh snoop dogg doing a lot of the uh marketing through the commercials, uh, doing yeah. some games. You've seen hymns. Uh, it's hymns and hers now, too. So, uh, you know, different uh, things that an uh, older male might need and to enhance themselves in particular different ways. Uh, um, and then, you know, through like kind of like e-commerce way, deliver right to your door, uh, like prescription meds, different things like that for men and for women now with the different needs, needs of a woman. Uh, that one's coming soon, too. So those are soon to be IPOs. Uh, but the Roblox, not too many people know about, but it's huge. And then uh, I don't think people knew about him's coming up. And uh, Robinhood people know about, but in terms of the users having access to shares out the gate, uh, it's like, that's like the first time it's being done. So that's the under the underappreciated part. I'm taking notes over here. So, I mean, we only asked for one. You gave us three. So just some <laughs> extra content coming in over here, which, which we're all appreciative of. Uh, all right, so the second the second category is I know that you're you're very active in golf fantasy leagues. Mm-hmm. So what I want is the dark horse to win the Masters this year. Ooh. Dark horse. Here's the thing about golf, right? I'm gonna brag in a minute, but the thing about golf is that it's in a very good place because so many people can win. Yeah, like anybody can win because they're all really good. Ch- Tiger changed the game. Like it used to be like Tiger's odds were like crazy. Like you had to bet a thousand dollars to even win a hundred dollars betting with Tiger. Like it's just different now. But I will say, um, and I don't like dropping his name, but uh, like I don't like dropping Steph's name because that's my guy. And you know, people try to you know use his name to prop themselves up. But I told Steph that uh, Patrick Reed was a major winner, right? And, and Patrick Reed has this very interesting relationship with the fans and with the media and, and how they view him and how he moves sand around from time to time with his clubs and not knowing. So, but, uh, <laughs> but I picked Patrick Reed to win a major and he won the masters like two years later. And I, I came to practice. Like I told you he was going to win. Uh, but to give you a dark horse. Oh, I got a good dark horse. Patrick Cantley. That is Definitely a dark horse because I don't even know if I've ever heard that name. Yep, because Patrick Cantley was well, – Webb Simpson might be a dark horse too. He's back. I've heard that name. He's got his putter back in action. Uh, 
But Patrick Cantley was the man growing up with Justin Thomas and George Speed. So Thomas was always better than Speed, and Cantley was always better than both of them. He was like the childhood phenom of them. He was like the LeBron James of the kid. And then he got into a car accident, and then Speed went on his crazy one run, and then people were calling Justin Thomas George Speed's friend, and now Justin Thomas is well, he's ranked fourth. He's ranked fourth now. Third or fourth now. It's the DJ, Rom, see the JT and Rory right there. But Patrick Cantley is like 10th. Like he's, he's got some game. He's got, I think he's the tallest out of all of them. It's weird that I know this stuff about golf. I like it. No, I, I like it. it. He, he's, uh, he's dialed in. All right. The last, <laughs> the last topic is pretty simple. Uh, a book, just a book that you feel is, needs to be read that isn't read enough. Oh, basically. oh, oh. Um, everybody, most people would say the cliche thing with the Bible. It, it is the book that people need to read the most. I'm on my third time reading now, but if I had to pick a book, uh, the seat of the soul mm. is a life changer. Like it gives you a different perspective on life in terms of like my favorite chapter was on reverence, like just having a proper respect for everything will lead you to where you should ultimately be. And I think we don't do that enough. Like if you have a if you have a passion to do something, you should have a reverence or a, a super respect for everyone that came before you that brought you that passion to where it is. Like we should have a, a special place for all the great basketball players that came before us and we should know all about their games. We should know what made them great, what were their weaknesses, how they transformed the game, all those different things. And uh as of recently, I've been thinking about that because we've been having these rifts between different uh, generations and it's been going on since the beginning of time. And I think the media is kind of, kind of pit us against each other. So you see a lot of guys are being uh, or, uh, too critical of, you know, current players in their situations or about the contracts or about the money and the way it is. But it's like, you were the guy, you guys are the reason why we're getting paid this much. So it's like, we're benefiting from what you did. So how can you be mad at us for, just trying to take advantage of it and pass it on to the next group because, you know, as you see in sports evaluations, they're going to continue to go up, especially in this COVID situation where content is king and, you know, your traditional marketers and, and, and people who are doing these sponsorships, like they have to get in front of eyeballs and they're in the live sports is where the eyeballs are at. Got into tech business again. I apologize. I love it, man. I'm doing my hey. Robinson over here. I'm feeling myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Andre, man, I, I can't thank you. We can't thank you enough. Um, always just a, a joy to honestly just hear you speak. Um, the perspective, the, the knowledge that you bring uh, to, to literally every single conversation that we have. Uh, and it was no different in this one. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time. As we've learned, uh, you have plenty of other things that you could be doing instead of talking to, uh, to us two clowns. So thank you very much, man. I really appreciate you. I always enjoy having like real meaningful conversations and uh, I've seen you do your homework. I've seen you been watching, you've been listening to some podcasts and you're finding your voice at Williams College. What was it, a year? And uh, just one, just one, but it did a lot for you. But Michigan too, like Michigan was my dream school growing up. Uh, Y'all just going through a, a lot of state of affairs around my time coming into That's college. Right. So it didn't work out, but it worked out. So uh, no, kudos to you. Davis, you're doing a great job. Get dumping those shoes soon, please. <laughs> they'll be they'll be overnighted after this. Best of luck to you guys, man. You got something special in your hands. Great thing. So I like it.
All right. Thank you, man. As sure. always, appreciate it. Thanks, Andre. Yeah.